Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. So who's the whore? Well, let's talk about it coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles with Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. Today, we are in Revelation chapter 17 through 18. Now, most people, when they read these two chapters, they think it's very confusing. But in reality, if you'll just read exactly how it's written and let the Holy Spirit show you, uh, the angels there in these prophecies interpret exactly what's going on. In fact, this is probably two of the most revealing chapters and easy-to-understand chapters in the book of Revelation. It's talking about the judgment of the false church, the beast of the earth, the one world religion. And in the King James Bible, it calls her the great whore, the whore of Babylon. Most modern translations just refer to her as the great prostitute the prostitute of Babylon. Well, let's dive right in and start reading in Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And we're going to look at the vision that John had of the great prostitute. Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who sits on many waters. The rulers of the world have had immoral relations with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns written all over with blasphemies against God. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. She held in her hand a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her completely amazed. Now, I think one of the reasons people get confused in this chapter is because they confuse this woman with the woman in Revelation chapter 12. But it's not the same character. In Revelation chapter 12, the Greek word is gune, and it literally means a woman or a wife. And that, as we studied in our past sessions, uh, we represented the nation of Israel. But here in Revelation chapter 17, a different word is used. It's pornice, pornice, and it literally means a prostitute. So this representation here in this vision is talking about a prostitute, 
a what I like to call the false church. And as we'll see, this is the portrayal of the vision, giving us more details about the beast of the earth. The beast, that's the one world religion. Now look at what she's riding on. She's riding on a scarlet beast. And we've touched on this a little bit before when we compared the three beasts of Revelation. But at this point, let's look at it again. The scarlet beast has seven heads, ten horns, and no crowns. And like we talked about earlier, this is very similar to the dragon of chapter 12 and the beast of the sea of chapter 13. The only difference is the placement of the crowns. Now, in session 28, we talked about how the beast represents a future worldwide empire backed by Satan. And this empire arose and started taking shape in the first seal. And as we've discussed, this beast, this world empire backed by Satan, is copied after the attributes of the dragon, who we know to be Satan. So the dragon and the beast and this scarlet beast look very similar. They all have seven heads and ten horns. The only difference is the crowns. And again, the crowns represent authority that has been given in the past or is happening right then. So what's going on here is this beast is representing this, this worldwide government, and we'll see some more details about this worldwide government later on in the chapter. But I also want to point out that the woman, this harlot, this prostitute, is drinking from a gold cup filled with the blood of the saints. Now, I want you to think back about another famous cup. We all know it to be the cup that Christ held his wine in during the Last Supper. And what happened? He gave it to his disciples. You can read about this in Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. And he took his cup, and it was probably a wooden cup, it was probably nothing fancy, but he took his wooden cup and gave his cup of wine to all the disciples to drink. And this was different than the normal Passover meal because everybody had their own cups with wine in it, but he told them he wanted them to drink of his cup because the wine in there represented his blood that he was shedding for them to start a new covenant so everyone can have their sins forgiven. But here, this uh, prostitute, she is drinking not of wine that represents Christ's blood. No, she's drinking of the blood of the saints. The blood of the saints. And this just totally shocks John. He doesn't understand it. Because you see, what it's saying here is this prostitute, which John is already beginning to realize, represents the false church, the beast of the earth. He's shocked. Why would the church kill her own saints? But it's interesting to note that this occurred in history. And we'll talk more about that coming up. But he's beginning to realize that the 
prostitute represents the church. And he's shocked by it. And he wonders, how can this be? Well, the angel immediately says, hey, why are you so shocked? I'll tell you what this vision means. So now let's go into how the vision is explained by the angel. Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 7. Why are you so amazed, the angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and the of the beast with seven heads and ten horns. The beast you saw was alive, but isn't now. And yet he will soon come out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life from before the world began, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. Now understand this, the seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills of the city where this woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen, the sixth now reigns, and the seventh is yet to come. But his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was alive and then died is the eighth king. He is like the other seven, and he too will go to his doom. His ten horns are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give their power and authority to him. Together they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will defeat them because he is lord over all lords and king over all kings. And his people are the called and chosen and faithful ones. And the angel said to me, the waters where the prostitute is sitting represents masses of people of every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his ten horns, which represent ten kings who will reign with him, all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will mutually agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast. And so the words of God will be fulfilled. And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Now, the first thing the angel teaches us is that this beast represents a empire that is revived from a past empire. We know that because he said the beast that you see was dead and is now, is not alive now, but will be alive again in the future. And we know from studying Daniel that the key to these visions is that the beast always represents an empire, a world empire. This one, like we've discussed before, of course, is backed by Satan. And we'll see that again reinforced from the angel later. So this is some type of revived empire of the past. Some empire that was very influential in the past of the world's history and no longer exists, but will come back. And so we will see what that is. Now, also, we see that the angel uh, talks about the seven heads of this beast. And he says that it is representing seven hills. This is in verse 9a. Let's look at that again. 
Now understand this, the seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills of the city where this woman rules. They also represent seven kings. So there's a dual meaning here of the, of the heads. The first meaning is the seven hills where this prostitute rules. Now, what's interesting is there's one city that is famous for being the city on the seven hills, and that is Rome. And John refers to this city of the seven hills as Babylon, kind of nicknames it Babylon. If you look back at Revelation 16, verse 19, you'll see that. He says, the great city of Babylon split into three pieces, and the cities around the world fell into heaps of rubble. And so God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. So it's nicknamed in chapter 16, but here in chapter 17, the Holy Spirit reveals what this beast is this city is and i've been teasing y'all for the last several sessions can you figure it out and that is the answer rome according to revelation chapter 17 and the angel that gives john the answer he says understand this the seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills of the city where the woman rules and there is no other city that i know of that is resting on seven hills. Rome, for many years, for a couple thousand years, really has been heralded as the city on the seven hills. So I think Rome is what it's referring to. So I think we can conclude here that this worldwide religion, the beast of the earth, is the culmination of the false church headed by the false prophet. And really and truly, like we talked about, this is the culmination of the uh, false teaching of Nicolaitanism, that priests are above the regular people. And that is what Jesus warned us about in Matthew 23 and in the letters to the seven churches. And he warned us about this. And what happens if churches keep following this false teaching that priests or pastors are up or above the regular people, then they will lead themselves down this path and they will become a apostate church, just like the church of Laodicea, and they will become a worldly church a, and it will be used by Satan to come up with this one world religion, this all-inclusive religion. Now, I think that this worldwide religion is typified by the Roman Catholic Church. And that doesn't mean it's just the Roman Catholic Church. I think in the future, when this happens, that John is being revealed to in this vision, when this happens, it will be not just the Catholic Church, but it'll also be a lot of the Protestant churches, the false churches and Protestantism that have gone the way of the world also. And like we've already discussed, this is happening now. The church has become worldly. They've taken on the values of the world, the immorality of the world. And one day when this one world religion forms, it will be a combination of Protestantism and Catholicism. 
and it'll all be wrapped up together as the Christian half of this one world religion. And remember, the beasts of the earth had two horns, and I think that probably represents Islam or the Muslim religion being united. And we today even know, just a few years ago, the present Pope has been making overtures to try and unite with the Islamic religion to bring all people together in love of the one God. So this is beginning to happen. We're seeing the seeds planted in our lifetime. Whether or not we see the fruit of these seeds, I don't know. Only God does. But I think that this is talking about a one world religion and it's being intertwined, if you will, or getting in bed with the one world government, which I think will end up being a form of the revived Roman Empire. It'll be some type of false republic. People will think they're having freedom and having representatives, but they won't. It'll be ruled by the Ten Kings. And we'll see that as we go on. Now, you may be asking, but Todd, what about the blood of the saints? You're saying that churches today will be this one world religion? What about the blood of the saints? Well, I'm glad you asked that. It's interesting to note that a lot of scholars point out that the Catholic Church is actually more responsible for more martyrs than the emperors of Rome during their persecution. If you look at the different purges of the Catholic Church had, the inquisitions is what they called them, throughout the uh, last 2,000 years, and especially during the, uh, what I like to call the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages, when they outlawed the Bible, like we've already talked about in history when we uh, discussed the seven churches, and they started persecuting and hunting down Christians of the real faith, anybody who tried to go by the real Bible instead of just buying into the false teachings of the church at that time. They were hunted down. They were tried in these false inquisitions, and many, many of them were executed. And some people have estimated that there was more Christians murdered and martyred by the Roman Catholic Church than in the days of the Roman emperors. I don't know for sure, but they definitely have their hands bloody from the saints, that is for sure. And we'll also see that in this worldwide religion, don't forget, will be going after all Christians. It'll be going after the Christians in the fifth seal, the seal of martyrdom where Christians are having under a worldwide persecution. And they will be, you know, just like we read, the worldwide religion the beasts of the earth will say that everyone must take the mark of the beast during that seven-year period of Jacob's distress. Of course, this is after the rapture, but they will be having to take the mark and worship the beast and the dragon. And if they don't, they will be killed then. So we can see how this worldwide religion has all types of blood on its hand, the blood of the saints. In fact, so much so that it becomes drunk on the blood of the saints is what John sees in his vision. Now, we also see how the angel said in verse 9b, he says, the seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills of the city where this woman or this prostitute rules. They also represent seven kings. So these heads also represent seven kings. 
And again, this means seven uh, empires that Satan has backed. And he goes on to say that five kings have fallen. The sixth reigns and the seventh is in the future. The entire beast with seven heads is in fact the eighth king or kingdom. And this eighth king will rule with 10 vassal kings. And we see this in what he says. Five kings have already fallen. The sixth now reigns. The seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was alive and then died is the eighth king. He is like the other seven, and he too will go to his doom. His ten horns are ten kings who have not yet risen to power, and they will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give their power and authority to him. Together they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will defeat them because he is Lord over all lords and king over all kings. And his people are called the are the called and chosen and faithful ones. So it says real clearly there that the beast here is just like the beast of the sea. It's just giving us more information about this eighth empire that Satan is backing. Now, if you remember when we studied these back in a previous session, session number 14 and 15 and 28, you can go back and look at the videos for those sessions. We talked about this in detail, and I had a graphic, and I'm going to put this graphic back up now, just to give us a brief comparison, again, to remind us how all these different beasts are related. In Revelation 12, it specifically says a red dragon, not a beast, a dragon. And we know from reading in other places in Revelation that that represents Satan. Revelation is real clear about that. The red dragon is Satan, the fiery dragon. And he had seven heads, and each head had a crown. And he also had ten horns. And so the crowns, like we said, represented past empires, empires that were given worldwide authority. Then in Revelation 13, we see this eighth empire, and it is called the beast from the sea. And no color was given, but it had seven heads, ten horns, and each horn had a crown on it. Now, this is representing the ten vassal kings, and they are reigning with this in this eighth empire, the confederation of the ten kings that Daniel talked about. And here in Revelation 17, uh, the vision ties it all together and shows us more detail. The beast from the sea is a scarlet beast, and it has seven heads, ten horns. The seven heads represents past kingdoms, and he gave us a clue. He said five have been passed and one still is. Well, the only empire that still was going on at the time of John's vision was the Roman Empire. So if we count backwards, we're pretty sure that the seven empires that ruled over Mount Zion, the Jerusalem area, were as follows. Egypt first, then Assyria, then Babylon, then the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, Rome, and the angel said, this is currently the king working here, 
or the Roman one. And then he says one will come in the future, but his time will be brief. And earlier I've said that is possibly the Ottoman Empire, but there's also another viewpoint. It could be the British Empire. You see, the British Empire ruled very, just a very uh, small bit of time over uh, Judea. They ruled from 1918 to 1948, and they were a true empire at this time. But we think that's what they are. And whichever one ruled shortly as the seventh one, we can ask God when we get up there and find out. But the key is, he says, the scarlet beast himself is the eighth empire. And that's what we've talked about before. Satan is had these world empires in the past, always at war against God. Remember how we talked about how there was a spiritual war going on, and we had to study that to understand the book of Revelation because it's the culmination of the spiritual war? Well, his past empires were used the way he tried in this spiritual war to defeat God. And so this is his eighth world power that he himself is empowering the leaders thereof through demonic influence to try and wage war against Jesus. The logical conclusion then is that, especially because the angel says it's based in the city of the seven hills, which is Rome, the logical conclusion, and I think the only one that we can say is a valid theory, is that this is a revived Roman Empire based on the wickedness of the old Holy Roman Empire, where the church was in bed with the politics. And you know, the false church has often prostituted herself with politics. It has been a continual problem that religious leaders get involved with political leaders and they end up perverting the truth of the gospel of Christ for their own purposes. And this is what's going to be happening here. It's the end result of, like I said, of Nicolaitanism and worldliness and this all-inclusiveness that's being pushed and pushed and pushed in our society. And this one day will show up as a false church that gets in bed with this eighth empire, a revived Roman empire that's led by the Antichrist and the Ten King Confederacy. And they will be in bed with each other. And the judgment of this false church, the prostitute that gets in bed with the political leaders of the one world government, is really a combination of judgment. It's a combination of judgment from the Antichrist and the Ten Kings and the Lord God. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. The scarlet beast and his ten horns, which represents ten kings who will reign with him, all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will mutually agree to give authority to the scarlet beast. So, God is behind their attack. He puts this plan in their minds, okay? And they burn her and they attack the, I I think, the Roman city where his house is based from, and they destroy this false church. And then later on, remember, we learned that God sends an earthquake in Revelation chapter 16. 
says that seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a mighty shout came from the temple of heaven saying it is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled and lightning flashed and there was an earthquake greater than ever before in human history and the great city of Babylon split into three pieces. And so we see that this city, Babylon, which is revealed as Rome, is judged by the kings themselves, the beast, the Antichrist worldwide government, turning on her themselves because the goal is ultimately to have no religion, not even a false religion, but to get rid of all of it because the goal has always been from the very beginning to be your own God. That's what Satan said from the very beginning to Adam and Eve. God just doesn't want you to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is what he said because you will become like him. And from that very moment, he was saying, you can become like God. You can become your own gods. And that is this false philosophy of humanism, that we can do anything and become gods. And so eventually, this false world religion is turned on by the very politicians she prostituted herself to. Now, let's look at this judgment in more detail, shall we? It starts off in... Uh, Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And this reveals the judgment of the great prostitute. Revelation 18, verses 1 through 8. After all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor. He gave a mighty shout. Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become the hideout of demons and evil spirits, a nest for filthy buzzards and a den for dreadful beasts. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her passionate immorality. The rulers of the world have committed adultery with her, and merchants throughout the world have grown rich as a result of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven, Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as heaven, and God is ready to judge her for her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to your people. Give her a double penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so give her twice as much as she gave out. She has lived in luxury and pleasure, so match it now with torments and sorrows." She boasts, I am queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow. I will not experience sorrow. Therefore, the sorrows of death and mourning and famine will overtake her in a single day. She'll be utterly consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. So again, Scripture is revealing that Babylon is revealed to be Rome. And it's the center of this worldwide religion and government. And it's the nest of demons. You can see that it is a false religion full of uh, demonic influence, full of demon possession. Satan is running uh, this false religion and this false government and is demonically ruled. And we see that the sea the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth, these two beasts have so intertwined again, they have virtually become the same empire in bed with each other, this revived Roman empire. And they 
are co the Antichrist and the false prophet are co rulers and co rivals. They hate each other and they fight each other all the way up to the time of judgment. And again, we have seen illustrations of this in history. We have seen what a, just a taste, a small taste of what it will be like in history with the Holy Roman Empire and the way the popes and the different kings were constantly in bed with each other politically and, and trying to fight against each other or cooperate with each other for their own purposes. We also see that this center of government, Rome, is destroyed by the armies of the Ten Kings, like we discussed in Revelation chapter 17, verse 16 and 17. The seventh bowl, which is the earthquake, and now in 18, verse 8, she will be utterly consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Now, this destruction by fire could be from a volcano resulting from the earthquake in the seventh bowl judgment, you know, similar to the destruction that happened to Pompeii in 79 AD. So it could happen that way. And in fact, it's interesting, many people who hold to the historical interpretation say that Pompeii is the fulfillment of this uh, prophecy in Revelation chapter 18. Now, I could not disagree with that more. There is no evidence to say that. In fact, it's kind of a silly statement because Pompeii was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius when it uh, erupted. It was destroyed in A.D. 79, 79 A.D. Yet John had, didn't have this vision till around 96, somewhere in 96, 97 A.D., almost 20 years later. And there's no way you can have a fulfillment of a prophecy before the prophecy. So this is not talking about Pompeii. But somehow or another, Rome gets destroyed similar. Could it be uh, through uh, the earthquake and a fire erupting from natural means from that? Yes. Could it be uh, a fire from the Ten Kings? Yes. Could it be uh, when they attack her? Could it be a, a fire from a volcano? Yes. Or it could even be a fire that God pours down. It does not say. That detail is still hidden. We don't know. But Rome, the city of the revived Roman Empire, and the false religion will be destroyed by fire. Now let's sum up the final judgments that we have been looking at with the bold judgments and see how it relates to the three main groups that we've been looking at. First of all, the entire world population is receiving God's judgment through the seven bowls. Then the worldwide religion, the beast of the earth, is destroyed by the Antichrist, the Antichrist, and the ten kings when they attack her, but also by God and is burned. Also, the worldwide government, the beast of the sea, is being led to Armageddon. We saw that with a previous bold judgment. It started off with the sixth angel pouring out his bowl on the great Euphrates River. And it says in verse 19, Revelation 16, verse 16, I should say, and they gathered all the rulers and the armies to a place called Armageddon. This is the beginning of the judgment of the worldwide government. 
after destroying the prostitute, the beast of the earth, this false religion, the ten kings align with the beast totally and give give him their authority, like we read in Revelation 17. And then the whole uh, worldwide government led by the Antichrist and the whole world attempts to overthrow God. And we see that as them being marched to their own destruction. That's how these final judgments break down from the worldwide population to the worldwide religion and the worldwide government. Now, this revived Roman Empire that is nicknamed by John as Babylon is destroyed for prideful rebellion against God, plain and simple. And you know something? There's a literary type of this destruction found in Isaiah 47 when it talks about the real judgment of the real Babylon. In Isaiah 47, verse 8 through 11, it says this, You are a pleasure-crazy kingdom, living at ease and feeling secure, bragging as if you were the greatest in the world. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We can see that beginning to rise up again today. You say, I am self-sufficient and not accountable to anyone. Boy, that philosophy's alive and well today, isn't it? I will never be a widow or lose my children. Well, those words are the same words that was echoed in Revelation chapter 18 about the false religion saying, I won't be a widow. I'm queen of the universe. You see, that's part of Baal worship. The queen of the universe giving birth to the sun god. And it's all part of a demonic worship called Baal worship. Well, those two things will come upon you, Isaiah continues to write. Those two things will come upon you in a moment, widowhood and the loss of your children. Yes, these calamities will come upon you despite all your witchcraft and magic. You felt secure in all your wickedness. No one sees me, you said. Your wisdom and knowledge have caused you to turn away from me and claim, I am self-sufficient and not accountable to anyone. So disaster will overtake you suddenly and you won't be able to charm it away. Calamity will fall upon you, and you won't be able to buy your way out. A catastrophe will arise so fast that you won't know what hits you. So you see, this has happened before with a previous empire that was backed by Satan, the Babylonian Empire. And just like it was destroyed because it got too prideful and said they We don't need anything. We won't be accountable to any God. We are our gods. The same thing is going to happen to the revived Roman Empire. We saw it in the Roman Empire also with emperor worship. And so with the revived Roman Empire, all of it will come back again. And this vile worship of demons and this worship of Satan, basically, the dragon, will all be brought to head again under the revived Roman Empire. But it will result in a massive, complete, and quick-moving destruction. Now, let's look at the merchant's response to this judgment of Babylon. The merchant's response to the judgment of Babylon. Let's read Revelation chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And the rulers of the world who took part in her immoral acts and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. 
they will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for Babylon, that great city. In one single moment, God's judgment came on her. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, and jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple dye, silk, scarlet cloth, every kind of perfumed wood, ivory goods, objects made of expensive wood, bronze, iron, and marble. She also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves. Yes, she even traded in human lives. All the fancy things you love so much are gone, they cry. The luxuries and splendor that you prize so much will never be yours again. They are gone forever. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry. How terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was so beautiful, like a woman clothed in the finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. And in one single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone. And all the ship owners and captains of the merchant ships and their crews will stand at a distance. They will weep as they watch the smoke ascend, and they will say, Where in all the world is there another city like this? And they will throw dust on their heads to show their great sorrow. And they will say, How terrible, how terrible for the great city. She made us all rich from her great wealth, and now in a single hour it is all gone. You know, I remember on 9-11 when they showed some of the footage from the New York Harbor and all the ships of trade were left to anchor out in the harbor because they could not approach the city because everything was locked down because of the terrorist threats. And I remember that and how these verses came to mind because it was very similar to what John saw in his vision. And you know, some people sit there and say, oh, that was a fulfillment of this passage. Uh, Revelation 18 is being fulfilled on 9-11. Well, that's just not true. And I remember how everybody used to fold up the little pieces of money, you know, uh, I think it was the $1 bill or the $20 bill, and you'd fold it up and you'd see the towers burning. And all those things that was going on after 9-11. And people said, that's fulfillment of prophecy. Well, not exactly. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. And this prophecy has been interpreted by the angel. This is talking about the Roman city, Rome, the city of the uh, one world religion in the future, the seat of government. It appears for the worldwide uh, government that arises, that the Antichrist leads. So it's talking about something in the future during the seven-year period of Jacob's distress when God judges the world. But in history, because there's nothing new in the sun, many times you will see little glimpses of what this terror would be like. Not as bad, but just little glimpses of it. Hence, the destruction of Babylon was a little glimpse of what's going to happen. And I think maybe 9-11 was a little glimpse of what's going to happen one day in the future. 
to the one world religion and the worldwide government of the Antichrist. So no, I don't think it was fulfilled yet. It is yet to come. And I think the angel makes that clear. But I want to you know, note to you the parallels of the way the merchants responded. Just like everyone was so worried about the world's economy when the trade centers uh, were attacked by terrorists and the planes crashed into them. Look at the response of the world today in this vision. In Revelation 18, when John sees this terrible destruction, the merchants don't weep for fear of God's judgment. No. They don't weep and seek repentance. No. Rather, they weep and wail because of their greed, because no one is left to buy their products. They're not looking at seeing, oh, the worldwide religion is destroyed and the, the world government has been destroyed. They're not weeping and asking God for forgiveness. No. All they care about is their greed and, and selling their goods and no one's there to buy them. That's why they're weeping. And so they are in cahoots with the government. They're probably cheering on the Antichrist when he moves forward with his armies of the ten kings to Armageddon to attack the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Messiah. So there's, there's no repentance here. No. There's nothing but greed. Saying, oh, this is horrible. Who's going to buy our goods now? And I also would like to point out how it says they traded in all these products, even human lives. You know, slavery is going to come again. And it's going to come from the same people who pushed it to begin with those of a false religion, those of a mentality of superiority, those who claim to be elitists, just like the uh, Nicolaitans do, and those who believe in a global trade. Those historically were always the ones that pushed slavery, and it's going to happen again with the one world government. This one world government that claims to be so perfect without God is going to end up doing the same vile sin of slavery that Satan and his minions have done throughout history. Now, let's look at heaven's response. We saw the merchant's response to judgment. Let's see heaven's response to the judgment. This is in Revelation 18, starting in verse 20. But you, O heaven, rejoice over her fate, and you also rejoice, O holy people of God and apostles and prophets. For at last God has judged her on your behalf. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder as large as a great millstone. He threw it into the ocean and shouted, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down as violently as I have thrown away this stone, and she will disappear forever. Never again will the sound of music be heard there. No more harps, songs, flutes, or trumpets. There will be no industry of any kind and no more milling of grain. Her nights will be dark without a single lamp. There will be no happy voices of brides and grooms. This will happen because her merchants, who were the greatest in the world, deceived the nations with her sorceries. In her streets, the blood of the prophets was spilled. She was the one who slaughtered God's people all over the world. So heaven rejoices at the destruction 
of Babylon. You know, see, the prostitute, this false religion, is actually being judged on behalf of the true believers and on behalf of the true apostles and on behalf of the true prophets that she persecuted and murdered and let the blood of these martyrs flow and flow and flow until she was drunk on them like wine and the blood flowed in the streets. This is because the false church allied with Satan, the revived Roman Empire, and martyred the true Christians to suppress the true gospel. That's what's going on here. The false religion suppressed the true gospel and allied even with Satan himself to create an all-inclusive, we can all become God's false religion. And that is why she's judged. And that is her requiem. That is her uh, epitaph, that she rejected God and God destroyed her. And there will never, ever, be joy in her midst again. So that is the judgment. And we see the stage set. We see the judgment of the false religion. We see God's wrath poured out on the world's population. And we see the stage set for the kings marching to Armageddon for when they go up against God and Jesus himself, the king of kings, enacts the fulfillment of the sixth bowl judgment, and they are destroyed in the Valley of Armageddon. But we don't learn about that until next chapter, and we'll cover that next time. But before we close this session, I want to point out the warning to the true church that's in this chapter. In Revelation 18, verse 4, we read this, Then I heard another voice calling from heaven, Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. You see, this is a warning. It's a warning for true believers. See, true believers must reject the false church and leave her. We must reject Nicolaitanism, and we see that today. We must reject it. There is no such thing as a higher estate, a higher uh a hierarchy of the clergy. It just doesn't exist. Priests are not above the people. Pastors are not above the people. And I'm telling you this as a pastor. We are not supposed to be superior to you. We are all brothers and sisters, according to what Jesus said in Matthew 23. So don't call anybody a pastor. That's what Jesus said. And if you are a fellow minister, don't allow anybody to call you a pastor. I don't let anybody call me a pastor. They just call me Todd. That's my name. So we need to reject Nicolaitanism. We need to reject shallow spirituality, where Christians in America especially just think all they have to do is show up once a week and hear a good uh, rock concert or great praise music to God and a nice little devotion that makes them feel good from some minister. No, we need to reject that shallow spirituality. We need to come out of Babylon. We need to reject this all-inclusive message of salvation that's plaguing so many mainline churches now. And it's just building up momentum and it's sweeping the country and it's sweeping the world. Where, oh, Muhammad's their Jesus and, and Buddha's their Jesus and there's multiple ways to get to heaven. No, that's not true. We need to reject that. True, 
True believers are warned here in this chapter to reject the false religion of the worldwide government, to reject the false religion of the false prophet and of the Antichrist. So see, true believers must accept Christ's true path for them. Not the world's path, but Christ's true path for them. We need to accept our authority as bond slaves for Jesus. We don't need to accept Nicolaitanism. No, we reject that, but accept that we all are given authority from Christ to be ministers. We need to accept our responsibility to make disciples. Jesus, in his last words in the Great Commission before he ascended to heaven, said, go and make disciples of the entire world. And we need to get back to doing that, sharing the gospel, making disciples, teaching them the word of God. And we all need to do that. That's not just a minister's job. It's every Christian's responsibility. And finally, we need to accept the one true gospel of salvation. Jesus is the only way. You can't get to heaven through Buddhism. You can't get to heaven through Islam. You can't get to heaven through Confucius, you know, following the teachings of Confucius. You can't get to heaven from the million false religions of India. No, no, no. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. As the apostle Peter himself preached to the governmental and religious leaders of his day in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Listen to this. He preached this, and this is what we need to do. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. There is no other name but Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And we as Christians must reject the false religion of Babylon that all people can go to heaven, no matter what they believe. No. Jesus himself taught the apostles that he was the only way to heaven. And Peter underscores that teaching when he says that his name, the name of Jesus, is the only name for people to call on to be saved. And that is the message that we as true believers must accept and preach. And until next time, Keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.